Welcome to the Table Stakes Podcast, presented by Xenial, where we discuss the business and technology issues affecting enterprise restaurant brands. I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff, restaurant enthusiast, technology optimist, and one of the product leads here at Xenial. Today, I'm joined by Mark Castrocini, VP of Product Management at Global Payments Integrated, and Bob Larimer, a Hardy's franchisee owner from Body Knoll. Welcome, guys. Hey, well, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, first, Mark, you know, we'll start from you. Uh, you you come from Global Payments, um, and what our listeners may not know is that Global actually is the parent company of Xenial. Um, so can you give us an idea of what your job entails real quick? Absolutely. As you mentioned, VP of Product Management over at Global Payments Integrated. And over there, what we focus on is providing integrated payment products that add unique value to a payment transaction, but more interestingly sometimes is also experiences surrounding the payment transaction. So ultimately, we build products to partner with ISVs, point-of-sale developers, and solution providers uh, that really help bake payments and those experiences into their software. Awesome. Cool. And Bob, uh, would you be able to share with us like some highlights of your restaurant ownership journey? Can help the listeners know uh, who you are and what you've been doing uh, during your career? Yeah. So, so I'm the vice president of of IT currently today. Um, I've been with the company for thirty, almost thirty five years. I have a lot of long term folks on my team. Thirty thirty two on my team. I've got two that have over forty five years experience with our with our brand. And if you're not familiar with Body and Enterprises, um, we're a Hardee's franchisee. We own 346 locations, have about 10,000 employees, mainly located in the Southeast, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and Kentucky. Um, we were founded in 1962 by, it's a family-owned business, so we're privately held. Um, actually have the third generation of family working in our business right now. Um, my wife works uh, in the business. I, I met her here. She's a 32-year um, employee, so uh, just very family family-oriented. We have folks in our restaurants, even down to biscuit makers that have been there 30 plus years. So um, I think the QSR industry sometimes gets a bad rap. And I think we we do things very much um, the right way in our business with with Hardee's and how we treat our employees. A lot of my folks on my team came out of operations. So we do a lot of um, upward mobility through the operations group because we know they know the business. And if they have a tech technical acumen, they they work very well. Um, my department's a full stack IT shop. We we actually have trucks on the road that service the, the hardware. We um, are self-supporters on the POS software and basically anything within our organization. We're currently moving to Workday and, and we support that, have a software development team. So we're we're very involved from the IT standpoint in our business, in the in the point of sale side and, and running restaurants. And we have a lot of knowledge and uh, very proud of my team and proud of my, my company. So. Awesome. And we're proud to be partners with you guys. You guys are awesome. You know, the, the main theme that we wanted to talk about today is uh, the subject of payments, um, the ways that that, that topic is evolving. Uh, so, Mark, I want to tee the first question up to you. What are some factors that are currently driving change and innovation in the payment space? What, what's something that you can point to that showcases, you know, these recent shifts and changes, that's being, changes that are being made in the payment space? Um, you know, I know obviously there's the pandemic, but, you know, are there anything else that's driving innovation and what does it look like? Yeah, I think what's interesting in the payment space is we are really going through an unprecedented change, right? And this was pre-pandemic, uh, thankfully, and, and, and there's some 
some good news with the pandemic itself, I guess. Um, but really, payments has been stagnant for years, right? There was very little change happening. Everything was consistent. We fell into a lot of older behaviors. And then what was interesting is we saw EMV come smashing through the door in, in the United States specifically. And in a little bit in North America, it started to evolve. But worldwide, it was happening, right? And so when we look at payments evolution, there's kind of two camps we usually put it in. What is the the improvements we've seen in evolution, things like better security, EMV and the like, and that's been disruptive to a lot of people because it forced change. But the other thing is when we start talking about things like mobile wallets and people's um, interest and activity around using different payment mediums and emerging payments, um, again, they were out there. You know, we saw them in Asia Pacific, you know, a lot of wallet usage over there. And then some of those closer to home here in the U.S., uh, you started to see it dabble, but nothing was really taking off. So I think before the pandemic, we were coming into seeing a couple of new trends, right? Um, things like digital commerce, right? Online ordering um, certainly is around, right? Is it pervasive? No. Um, things like touchless payments and wallets were kind of happening. We were kind of struggling with adoption. And so what's interesting is in the last two to five years, you know, we've seen unprecedented change in the payment space, right? We've gone to evolve to EMV and then we've seen wallet usage and now we're seeing, you know, emerging loyalty program and experiences. And what was really interesting when the pandemic came this year is it was really the evolution of most of that change, right? We just saw it get accelerated all of a sudden. Um, you know, we're, we're here and I think we're going to cover a lot around the restaurant and quick serve space. I mean, nothing was more impacted that if you were taking online orders, great. And it just now has accelerated to massive amounts of your volume. Um, if you weren't, you had a very real challenge of losing market share in a time you couldn't. And so those are kind of the trends we're looking at. Um, and then ongoing is the use of mobile wallets. And I still think we haven't seen a tremendous pickup in that. But I think people are getting more familiar with changing their behaviors. And that's why it's one of those things we really want to keep our thumb and pulse on going forward here. Yeah. So the payment space is evolving, like you said, more specifically as it pertains to, you know, enterprise QSR and fast casual brands as they're thinking about this. Because payments, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, it's pretty simple, right? Like someone wants to give me money and I want to accept it. But we all know it's a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot of legal uh, hurdles that we have to go over, make sure there's compliance, you know, set in place. Um, but you know, more specifically, as these brands are starting to move towards the SaaS technology um, uh, rather than kind of the licensing model, you know, payments has been simple. But is there something different that's going to be happening as these brands are consistently looking towards cloud products to start uh, facilitating payments? Yeah, I think we're getting into a, an interesting spot here when we start getting closer to cloud payments, and that is the new learning, right? Um, you know, like you said, the classic software license models um, people were familiar with for very long, and you know, there was a lot of hands-on with that, right? There were a lot of pulling things through from software support to upgrades to trying to tie solutions together. Um, first off, cloud from a conceptual level made all of that sound easier, didn't it, right? Now we're starting to throw cloud solutions in store. We're starting to use those cloud solutions for online ordering and the like. And I think what's happening is now that we're seeing more accelerated adoption, we're starting to find some of the fissures crack open a little more. We're finding some of the bigger problems, right? So what are some of those examples? Um, you know, I think we found QSR specifically. Many were on some leg of the journey around online ordering. Right. Some were taking online ordering. They were dipping their toe in the water. Some were really taking off with it and some weren't quite there yet. 
now everybody's been thrust forward a little. Um, very similar to delivery, right? We're seeing a lot of platforms where we can actually get delivery services that are kind of that extension of online ordering. And I think what we saw is when some people got forced uncomfortably into it, they started to run into some of those business management problems, right? Um, before, when it was a small portion of our business and, you know, a couple of the one-offs, you could get the faxes, right? And just have it manually input by the person behind the counter that handled the phone deliveries anyway, right? Um, even when it was a higher level of usage, you know, we saw things like finance reconciling the two. Suddenly now, and, and there was a lot of, uh, I hate to say it, um, duct tape and bubble gum, right? People trying to pull this stuff together to make sure it works in their business because it was a necessity. Well, I think what we saw this year is when so many people got forced into it so heavily, that started to fall apart, right? Now you have um, business owners and restaurateurs and restaurant managers spending hours trying to reconcile and get the books up to date because it all came in online and that was kind of a secondary system that was using and be happening over there. Um, and how do you basically get that to make sure your business is operating? So I think it's funny that we initially thought it was just how do we get more orders in the door? How do we accommodate what consumers want? And I think we've done a good job getting closer to that. But now we're getting into how do we settle down the disruption that it's causing our businesses to run day to yeah. day? Bob, you know, you're someone who's kind of more on the ground, feeling this in real time. Uh, your staff has been tasked with, you know, facilitating a lot of this on behalf of restaurants um, and working with restaurant managers. How, how does what Mark just walked through and those kinds of challenges ring with you, you know, over the last 12 months or so? Walk me through what you're thinking as you hear that. So if you get into um, just delivery partners, um, yeah. we, we were working in that space. Um, early in the in the fall, so we 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 had an aggregator so that we could do menu management and do last mile integration to the point of sale, so we didn't have to have all of the different iPad devices in the restaurant. Right, and that was kind of slow. We were kind of slow rolling it at that time, and one of the biggest issues we had was on the reconciliation side. So we fixed that problem. We we have some software here that that does all the reconciliation, three way reconciliation for us. So we fixed that problem. But it really wasn't moving the way that we wanted it to move. Well, the pandemic changed that for us. So the, we, we had a meeting immediately kind of when everything went into lockdown. And, and just as everybody in the restaurant industry, we saw our sales plummet immediately. And the, the first thing that I said was, I said, this is going to make everybody uncomfortable, but we've got to move to delivery as quickly as we can. And there was guffaws in the room. And, I, you know, I, I, to be honest, there were some people kind of upset that we were that we were trying to we're a company that typically moves things very slowly. We prove them out. We make sure operations is comfortable with them, which is the most important thing. We make sure that the business is being fed because we have this huge animal here at the corporate side that has to be fed with all the data and cash and reconciliation that we have to do. So we, we, we took a step back and, and we realized really quickly that we had to move and, and pivot very, very quickly. So we fast tracked that. We got it into about 240 of our 346 locations that were serviceable very quickly. And we saw things just explode on the delivery side. And now it's a very integral part of our business um, today and having it integrated, having the reconciliation process, it's making it easier for our for our managers. And that was the most important thing was to make sure we could get the food out hot and fast and quickly, but also make sure we're not disrupting our business. And uh, it's something our operations people, they, they want more of. So now we're, we're starting to work in the mobile ordering space. And that's something that I feel like our brand has lacked in. But 
we've we've got it in 75 locations and it's going very well. And again, it's all integrated into that same platform so that reconciliation, payment um, and and just the last mile to the point of sale is is complete. So we've got all the plumbing done. Now we're going to work on building the mobile ordering house on top of it. And we're hoping to have that roll start rolling in May and, and completed very quickly after that. And that's because of all the work that we put in on the technology side in the beginning to make sure that we can pivot to these new technologies very quickly. Gotcha. Bob, then kind of pulling off of that, you know, you, you kind of walked through a bit of a boardroom discussion about like, hey, what we should be doing this to expand our business. And we've all been in these situations where, you know, we in these rooms are, are making calls for here's what we should really be focusing on. And that's good. And we, and we generally know what we're doing. Right. But at the same time, you know, putting our consumer hats on and, you know, becoming a regular Joe, you know, we're those people are increasingly becoming accustomed to you know being in control of their experiences and engagements with with merchants and restaurants and especially in how they're paying. Um, and they might have some different views on things. Bob, I'll, I'll put this to you first, really. You know, what are some ways like you've seen the payments industry? We're talking payments specifically. Have there been payment related things that have been innovating that's been focused on the guest and consumer uh, that, you know, has really helped that they've kind of either asked for um, that you have gone back and said, hey, we got to add this. These people are asking for this or something that you've noticed has been a big mover in uh, consumer uh, adoption. Yeah, so I'm I'm a consumer, so yep. I'm I'm constantly looking at what either our competitors are doing, and, and not even even not even our competitors, just what is the market doing as far as the commerce in general. So I'm constantly looking at at what other people are doing and how they're doing it, and and thinking about how can we implement that into our what are the best of breed that'll work in the quick service industry because we are you know we're very Today we're we're ninety six percent drive through because a lot of our restaurants are still closed. The dining rooms are closed, but um, just like anybody in the QSR industry, drive through is 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 moving very quickly, and that's where all of our our uh, throughput is. But the the problem we have is on the payment side today. So everybody's looking for contactless payment, and and I've seen some interesting ways that people have done that. Um, some of it they've just stuck the the credit card machine outside the window, you still have to kind of grab it because it's, you know, and I'm a germaphobe. I mean, I'm like, it's yeah. like that game of operation where I'm trying not to touch the And also you're awkwardly and, leaning out of your car window, you know. Exactly. Um, something that I have that uh, I really enjoy is I have a, I have a Android phone. So I have, and a Samsung phone, I have Samsung Pay on mine. So Samsung Pay uses that, um, it's MST, it's magnetic uh, service transmission. So basically anything that has a, where you can swipe a card, you can utilize it. And I love going into some place and I'll, I'll queue it up to pay and they'll say, oh, that doesn't work. Apple pay doesn't work here. And I'll say, this is going to work. And I queue it up and it works and they, they, it blows them away. So, the, you know, there's technologies out there. That people don't even know that that exists that you can utilize to, to do payment. So we're looking at ways. Um, contactless is probably one of the biggest things we're looking at next. And what I'm looking for, and it probably doesn't exist because I haven't seen it, but I'm looking for something that's very simply mounted outside, whether it's at the drive-through menu board or at the drive-through window that allows our customers to either do EMV, tap and pay, mobile pay, you know, any way they want to do it without having to really alter our restaurant or our networks or anything to do that. And and um, I've challenged Tracy Gallimore, asked him about looking at something for that. And, and Tracy works with, with Xenial, um, who's our POS provider. Um, but we're looking at contactless now because we know that's kind of where 
where things are going. But the the mobile pay is, again, where it's going to go. And what's going to help on the delivery, obviously, that's happening in the cloud. Mobile ordering is happening in the cloud. And those are the type of businesses that I seek out are the ones that are the easiest to order, the easiest to pay. Um, I'm a Venmo user. I love Venmo. I play a lot of golf and that's how we all pay. Yeah. our debt. It's not <laughs> yeah, like settle up. Yep. it's not like real money. It, it's like it doesn't exist or something. Um, I was I've, I've been buying a lot of bourbon um, during the pandemic and um, North we're in North Carolina. So selections aren't very good. So a lot of times you have to go other places online. And I've found that a lot of these uh, these spirit uh, sellers are using shop pay. So basically, I've got an account with ShopPay. I go there. I pick the bourbon I want. It sends me a code. ShopPay sends me a code. I put the code in. It's paid. It's shipped to me. It's done very quickly. I don't have to enter any information whatsoever. So those are the types of things that that me as a consumer is looking for that I'm trying to see how can we put those things in our restaurants that make it easier for our guests to to pay and and do it do it faster and make it more convenient for them So and, and have those. Yeah focus on providing hot, good food. So circling back to the, uh, you know, to the tab payments thing that you talked about, actually, you know, popped something in my, in my mind and Mark, I'll kind of tee you up for this, but one of the things at Xenial that we've been, you know, doing that we rolled out in this last year to kind of solve that problem was our touchless payment project where we used QR codes where a customer can just scan the QR code um, and it pulls up their, the, their order through a browser on their smartphone and then they can pay where they have, you know, Google pay, Apple pay, or input a credit card. Um, and we leveraged, you know, the, the backend for, for Xenial payments you've been working on for that. And QR codes is something that's really been slow to adopt in the, in the United States. Um, it's big, really big overseas. Um, and, and I think this, this pandemic has obviously, you know, accelerated the you know, willingness for Americans to get their phones out and scan this weird looking black and white square, you know, that they normally used to not. Uh, so can you, can you talk us through, you know, QR codes uh, internationally, how you see that coming in, in, in the States? And also, you know, if you want to expand on that, you know, just talking about the ways that the U.S. compares to in, in payments compared to international markets. Sure. And, you know, you said it, QR codes have been around and with payments for years now, right? I, I'm thinking back to almost 2008, where I might have seen a demo of a QR code payment working, right? And the promise isn't any different. It is, it's ubiquitous, it works, you know, you can either have a QR code on your phone and scan it, or you can have a QR code somewhere near the countertop and scan it. Um, and, and again, you said it well, the, the U.S. consumer adoption was a little tough, right? We had some technologists that might use it to go scan the poster in the store and get the discount or understand what the, the product info is. But by and large, we weren't using QR codes a ton. And that was weird, right? Again, you look at Asia Pacific and they're using it all over the place. So, so why the gap? Um, I think we found out pretty quickly that initially for consumer usage, there needed to be some guidance from the QR code, right? And that usually came by way of a mobile wallet or a mobile app. And so the challenge we had in the U.S. was we don't have an ecosystem wallet provider. or We didn't back then, right? Um, you know, you look at WeChat Pay and everybody's using the same app, so it's much easier to, you know, get consumer adoption. Um, when we have dozens of different apps installed on our phone, right? One for every QSR we go to, it starts to become a burden. Um, one we, and so what we've seen more recently is through the basic evolution of phones, right? Being able to pick up QR codes more easily in the camera, right? Nowadays, and, and if you don't know, if you opened your camera and pointed at a QR code, up comes a button, right? That is that is about as uh, ease of use as it gets. Um, 
you know, that's a great opportunity to start taking advantage of that. Um, when we look at QR code adoption, we have seen it come and go in some big names, right? Uh, PayPal experimented with it for a while, even riding card rails and converting. Um, Level Up, uh, acquired by Chase Pay along the way, really still banks on that technology. And, you know, we've had some of the challenges on installation. You know, the, um, the basic idea of showing a QR code on your phone and getting it scanned by a point of sale in the classic sense or legacy sense required either the point of sale provider to do all the work to integrate, to pick up a QR code and do something with it, or in the reverse fashion, we're requiring point of sale providers to do updates that show QR codes, right? And maybe it's just as simple as printing, but I think Bob's probably been in the world of, hey, when that needs to be rolled out to dozens and hundreds of stores, even though it's easy, that's a that's a nightmare. So I think, first of all, the cloud software services and, and the cloud approaches are all going to help us better from deployment, management, right, consistency. Um, you know, you, we're using all the benefits, whether it's uh, completely cloud web-based or there is a container in the store where, you know, we don't need people going in and touching every single point of sale to take advantage of capabilities, right? Um, the other thing is it's a lot cheaper to add things. So if we do need to put up a consumer-facing display, right, historically that would probably be the credit card payment device, right? And that is not only an expensive piece of equipment, it's really hard to make do something as simple as show a QR code. And that's the sad truth, right? Um, I love the drive-through scenarios because, you know, even when EMV came out as a requirement more recently, yeah, we saw these six to six hundred to a thousand dollar payment devices being attached to a pole, and the you know um, hourly worker was basically holding it out the window, hopefully that it didn't fall on the ground, right? Um, but QR code is a great opportunity for that. You know, you've seen some um, you know the coffee chain providers pick that up in the drive-through, where if you have an app, you can show a QR code, and we can meet in the middle essentially, and figure out some of those things. Um, so we think the opportunity is here. It's more about adoption. Um, I think what's really interesting when we look at things like QR code technology is when you start to take a step back, the payment can be identical to ordering online or performing an e-commerce transaction or, you know, going in store. Because now you're talking about the QR code exists somewhere, whether it's on the point of sale, the countertop side, the drive through side, or even on my browser as I do the online order. So I think there is an opportunity to make things easy, and I think we're getting a lot closer to that. Um, you know, there's there's a, there's still the technology pickup, right, and the consumer confidence around security and things like that. So I think our position is, although QR code is much easier to implement, right, for all of us, um, it's actually easy to use from consumers, we'll still have some security concerns and people will still need to use things like EMV contactless as an example, um, wallet adoption, right, as people get comfortable to it. So I think, you know, our our general strategic approach is consumers are going to want to pay in unique ways. There isn't going to be a winner, but how do we make sure that our technology is enabling what's coming down the line um, for partners like Xenial to easily turn on and then obviously downstream easily roll out to stores? Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think so. One thing I want to pivot to, you know, Bob. So we, this this podcast, the listeners of this podcast are all enterprise restaurant, you know, industry folks. Whether they're you know a vendor or uh, a brand, you know, they're they are in the the weeds, just like you, in the thick of it, fighting the good fight. And something that you know, I've I've learned in my uh, time in this industry, both on the client and vendor side, is that, you know, brands are always reevaluating payment providers and thinking about, you know, what are we doing here? How are, how are our rates? You know, do should we be shopping somewhere else? Um, is there, could we be getting better service, you know, at other places as well? And, and so 
a lot of people, at least at some point in the back of their mind, are, are thinking about that. Um, can you give you know advice? Like, what what are some good questions that restaurateurs should ask when they're looking for a payment provider? What 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 should they be looking for in a payments partner? Yeah, so so some of the just the basic things are just a lot of the payment providers are providing a transaction based fee, and a lot of times that's kind of the the bait to to get you to get you talking to them. Um, but it goes much deeper than that because that transa- transaction fee, that's, you know, it's a fixed cost and you can easily translate what that's going to cost you per year based on the number of transactions that you do. But the biggest thing is to look at what all of your fees are from a, from a processing fee. And, um, you know, best way I'll be, obviously do that is what, it, what are your fees, what's your fee structure based on the percentage of credit card sales. So when, when I talk, I talk to a lot of other franchisees that are smaller and they're maybe looking at, at different providers. That's the kind of things that I tell them is like, don't get fixated on the transaction fee. Look at what the total cost is and then ask questions about what they can do to help you bring the interchange cost down. Do they have like smart routing that can bring the, the cost down? Um, I, the first thing I ask is, are they integrated with whoever my POS provider is? Um, if the answer is no, I know what it takes to, to to get an integration together for a POS provider now in a P2P e-world. It's it's very complex. Um, and so I, I always tell them, make sure you understand what the scope of that work's going to be and what the deliverables are going to be and how those are going to be benchmarked and measured. Um, and then I always ask them, too, when you're when you're working with contracts, you know, don't accept just the boilerplate contract. We do a lot of editing of contracts with our lawyers and, and some things we're able to get in the contracts and some things we're, we're not. Um, but it's, it's a compromise and it, you want a, a contract that that services both the vendor and the merchant. It, you know, it needs to be a two way mutual relationship. Um, and most vendors are usually pretty open to, to doing those type things. So and then what is, what other technologies are the vendors looking at in the future, like the things that Mark's talking about? So what what is GPS looking at? What's global looking at that can help me better serve our guests? And we're you know, we're in the speed and transaction business. So when it when we're looking at technology, it, it has to it has to get our customers through faster, because when you're talking about drive through, it's all every second we get a car through the drive through faster. There's another car behind it that can get through. And, and that's how we keep those transactions moving and, and building, building sales. So we, we need a provider that can provide technologies to us that can or actually decrease the amount of time that a transaction occurs and make it easier for the consumer, for our restaurants and for everybody. And that will increase transactions, which will increase sales for us. Um, the QR code, uh, I'm trying, you know, my, just trying to be honest, just trying to figure out how to implement that within organization. I've used it in other places, um, but from a speed standpoint, I'm trying to figure out how can we utilize that QR code to to increase the speed of that transaction. I love it in other. I haven't seen it much in QSR. I've seen it in other restaurant spaces, and it works very well. I love being able to bring a menu up with a QR QR code. I think that's great. Um, so when it comes into the QSR standpoint, you know, how do we utilize that QSR, excuse me, that uh, QR code to increase speed of service for us? So great technology, just yeah, I, hadn't quite figured out how to implement it into the QSR industry yet. 
Yeah, I think that's a great call out, especially for you know those of us who are developing solutions in this, is to never forget to you know factor in what is this going to do to the speed of service. If it's going to you know if you're going to you know lower the speed of service, great, that's a that's a win right there, right? Every second's like you know tens of millions of dollars in aggregate to the brand, um, but. You know, if it's going to detract from the speed of service, what are you gaining then by having that detraction? And you know, is it worth it? You're gonna be hard pressed to to um, to justify that because speed of service is incredibly important, especially when you're in in QSR. Um, handing uh, handing payment devices out on a stick does not. Yeah. <laughs> keep that transaction moving along. I can tell you that. Yeah. And, and, and certainly from like, you know, a, a consumer perception standpoint, you know, they're kind of like, what's this janky pole coming out at me from the drive through window here. I was expecting a burger and now it may, we might be jousting. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, so speaking of that, you know, Mark, you touched on, you know, the, the reason why everyone's handing these super expensive payment terminals out a window on a pole was security. Right. You know, it was the need for EMV to be part of this. And um, security is something that, you know, sometimes people don't think enough about or don't appreciate enough. Um, and certainly there are standards and requirements that you know legally come into play um, for, from a security standpoint. What should what should brands be uh, thinking in terms of data security right now when it comes to the uh, the payment space? Yeah, we we have the continued evolution and attention now, which is, first of all, helpful for everybody. Right. When we had the first concept of EMV come out and then some people that are familiar with the PCI program, right, the payment certifications and things like that. Um, it was an awareness factor for a lot of the downstream businesses, um, particularly restaurateurs. And, you know, so it became a thing. But I think the important thing that people need to understand is it added a lot of maturity and compliance to our space, which is healthy. So, you know, when you talk about picking partners, right, it's important to find someone that you are confident in because it's really our downstream job to make sure that you're covered. You know, certainly offering you different levels of programs and understanding what your obligations as a business, um, you know, we want to have a shared conversation about. But the good news is the bar, the bar for security is pretty high, right? And you should be able to expect that from your partners, right? They should not only be able to make sure they can recommend solutions, but when you do see something happening in your space, say EMV or even now, what do I do with e-commerce? Um, we really should have a good answer that's concrete, that's understandable, and you can believe in that not only do we have it today, we're going to have it when it changes, right? Um, the EMV progress was good. Um, you know, I think it was interesting that the restaurant industry as a whole was slower to EMV, right? QuickServe did a better job because they had some countertops to think it through. drive through took a long time for us to solve. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things there is when you talked about speed as an example of a problem to be solved, right, and keeping it top of mind, um, I think you saw a lot of restaurateurs say, I don't care about EMV, right? I don't have a security problem. You know, people are coming here and paying an average ticket of $20 for a meal, and it's working today, right? And it's not inherently painful in my business. And, you know, if we look back a little bit, what's interesting is when you talk about an evolving need, we found that EMV noncompliance was a thing, right? Customers could start to dispute it a charge and it wasn't DMV. And so they automatically lost the chargeback, right? And so suddenly the restaurant space got this massive influx of chargebacks, which is terrifying for most of us rational people, right? But unfortunately, when a family was low income, maybe not the most uh, 
honest of people come back and realize they can get a free meal by simply hitting the dispute button on their credit card, they do come back every week, right? And we saw these crazy patterns happening of friendly fraud, if you will. So, you know, it, it wasn't a security problem necessarily, although there was an improvement to be had. Everybody benefited from having EMV. There's no question. We have some of these outlying problems that occur that we wanted to make sure we solve, right? And hopefully the payment providers in the back end here solved it on your behalf, helped you get installed and things like that. So, you know, I think the questions now around security, I think a lot of restaurateurs, QSR particularly, you know, some of them have been dabbling in e-commerce and online ordering and, you know, some of the delivery services. And I think that's where their attention is at. Um, and I think that's healthy. Uh, the good news is that although these e-commerce type transactions, as you'd say, are newer to the, the quick serve and the restaurant spaces, we know it's been a matured market for a while, right? So, you know, e-commerce retail had a lot of fraud way back in the day. And so they've done a lot of learning. And thankfully, a lot of the online ordering services have taken advantage of some of those improvements. Um, but understand that's actually a less regulated space as well. So when we talk about the EMV chip cards coming into retail, right? That was a massive industry momentum swing, right? Everybody had to have new cards. We all had to have new devices and it was a big coordinated effort. Um, digital commerce has a whole bunch of, you know, extended security capabilities, things like 3D secure, right? These things that you see your bank pop up every once in a while. Um, things like CVV and zip code validation, right? Those are things that are actually security mechanisms in place. And so, you know, as always, I don't ask restaurateurs to go out and understand security. I ask them to go to their partners and say, what do we have? What do we need to know? What do we need to learn? And do you have it covered? Right. Um, some of those basics, believe it or not, you know, we think, well, zip codes unnecessary because I'm delivering the food. Well, understanding that's a credit card qualification criteria that protects you in the back end. That's a little different conversation. Maybe the extra consumer step is worth it. Um, but it is always that blend of security versus consumer experience and how do we feel good about the transactions. But, you know, those are the, the attention getting things of the day um, as we talk about emerging solutions and and things like, um, you know, EMV versus mobile wallets. Uh, we try to keep them top of mind, online ordering, delivery services, you know, security from a basic payments perspective. It is where we have to take a step back. Right. What is the tip implications now? Right. Sure, the credit card is good, but what is the variation and how are we making sure the tips are falling in tolerances and there's no no fraud happening in drivers worlds? Right. Um, you know, a little less security related, but it certainly blends quickly when we're using third party delivery services. How do we know if drivers are getting paid what they expect? How do I know if I'm getting charged what I expect? Right. So security goes a little beyond just protecting consumer information. Right. And making sure that we're all getting delivered the bill of goods we agreed to, right? So lots going on in that space. Um, EMV and and the need for point-to-point -point encryption, that was two, two of the best things that happened to our company. Uh, that probably somebody would disagree with that because it was a lot of work involved with getting our restaurants and even our, our corporate side up to speed from a security standpoint. Um, but the good thing is every year, we, we ask our QSA to challenge us and, and we, we don't, it, it's very simple with point to point encryption now, but we, we ask them to find things that we can improve on. So every year we're iterating our security model. And now with things like ransomware, we're, it's helping us immensely to try to keep those things out of our restaurants. Cause that's one of my biggest concerns now is ransomware. Somebody being able to you know, take control of your POS, that would be devastating if you can't serve your guests. Um, 
but the EMV side has helped us dramatically with with having to increase our security, and that should make our guests feel good as well. That we we have we take security very seriously about the the payment side of it. Um, I still see. I was just actually in a, a national fast casual brand this weekend that was still swiping cards. They had no ability to take EMV, and it it kind of wow put me back because it was a large. I'm not gonna say who it is, but it was a very large nationally known fast casual brand. So it was had still not implemented EMV security in their in their restaurants. So yeah, and it's been painful for many. Um, it's been painful for many, but I think interesting, Bob, to your point exactly, we found so many of our partners that we've been through the ride together. So when you establish some confidence in partnership there, good or bad, right? Um, but I think most Im- importantly, and you just kind of said this, it gave us some confidence. We have a baseline to work off of, right? Because somebody taking mag stripes today clearly has a wealth of challenges that they're burdened with and may not know, right? At least PCI gave us all common vernacular, some common things to look at, some common things to evolve. And I agree, it's been a, it's really been a benefit, um, whether people understand it or not. Yeah, and that's the thing about all these new payments that are types that are emerging and payment options. Obviously, as those things emerge, it's push down, pop up. So we're going to be dealing with some security issues with that. But but those are good problems to have because it means that we're, we're moving, the industry's moving forward and uh, we're having to address situations as an industry moves very fast. It's always regulation and controlling it that that lags behind. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting when people, you know, people usually decry like, oh, crap, I got to roll this out. Another security thing. That's so boring. This is, you know, taxing on resources is expensive. Um, but they it, it raises an awareness to them of, of issues they may not have even realized they had. You know, it's like going to the doctor and finding out like, oh, you know, maybe I need to get, you know, my heart checked or something like that. You know, where you, you know, just because you don't know that there's a problem doesn't mean that there's not one. And being able to be aware of things allows you to become an, an even better provider of services and, you know, to effectively play whack-a-mole where you didn't, you didn't even know that there was a mole problem. Um, so I think that that's an interesting call out is, you know, to, you know, it's a frustrating, it was a fr- I was part of the, you know, an EMV rollout at the, the last brand I worked at. And then I was, you know, everyone was just like, oh gosh, I can't believe we have to do this. But, you know, I think in the end it's, it is a net positive. And I think I like Bob, I like how you, you, you go and challenge and say, you know, help us get even better on this because now you have the capabilities to, to find that out. So that's cool. You know, I'll move us to a little bit more of a flashy topic here, you know, and, and this is for, this is for both of you, Bob, I'll, 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 I'll hit you first. Um, what what is the most exciting innovation around you know payments the ability to take payments that you are excited about in your position is there anything out there that's coming down or something you saw recently that you're like hey that's cool that's something i should look at again it went back to some of the things that, that i'm using as a consumer myself um so so as i'm using those technologies i'm trying to see how would they fit into the qsr industry uh and we talk to people a lot that think they understand retail. We, we a lot of times get lumped in with, with retail. Retail, Yep. And, and QSR is very, it's so different. It's, it's very different. Um, and, and in a lot of aspects, and I love that there's, there's conferences out there that, that are just for QSR industry um, folks, because it, it's such a, our industry is so different than a lot of, other, of a lot of other industries, and um, it's nice to be able to network with other people that have some of the same problems. But when it comes to to payments, again, we're looking at 
that's one of our goals this year is to find a contactless payment option. Um, we're the our current payment devices are are coming into life, so it's it's close to where we need to start looking at that anyway. So, so the biggest thing for us is contactless, and then just all the different mobile options and wallets that are out there that we can integrate with um, through our point of sale system. That again makes the payment process faster. Again, the, it's it's all about speed for us. It's all about quicker we can get that customer through that line. That's going to build sales for us, and it's and it's it's twofold because it's going to it's going to make a happy customer too. Because right, yeah, we're quick service for a reason. They want us. People want to come in and move out very quickly. And again, the pandemic has um, it was it was tough in the beginning, but we've we've benefited from that because of our industry. Um, we've seen our average check go up dramatically, um, where people are buying for families. It appears, you know, we're yeah, still trying right. to put the data together to understand it. Uh, but that's again where mobile ordering, um, delivery partners, those those average checks go up two and threefold compared to in-store purchases. So anything we can do now in the digital space, um, and that and obviously the digital space is tied into the payment piece, we, we know we're going to be able to drive transactions with larger um, average check. Nice. Mark, you know, as someone on the inside um, here as, you know, our industry expert, you know, for you, what is the most exciting or interesting, you know, uh, newcomer here in, in the payments world? What's the most the innovation that gets you most excited? So there's nothing gets exciting in payments. Um, so there's a few things that really come top of mind. I, the recent year has been interesting, right? We've learned something. And I think my obvious answer, because it feels more near term than dreamy, is really the combination of things we really expected would be successful in the past, right? And what I mean is, one, the consumer experiences we're talking about, you know, we always had focused on frictionless, right? And, and driving down transactions time is a frictionless example, as is one of the examples. Um, when we got into the touchless environment, it was, well, does it make sense to actually prompt for a pin or is it faster and no touch to let it go by, right? We had a lot of customers still doing digital signatures when they're unnecessary in many cases, right? So those improvements in frictionless payment were the start. I think where we start to get even more excited is when the payment goes away, right? When you're talking about that online order with an av higher average ticket already, how do we make that payment completely transparent, right? If your card's on file for that restaurant because you've used it before or that quick serve or the delivery service, um, payment becomes out of sight, out of mind, and you actually see some increased spend, believe it or not, when people don't have to connect it to a hard entering in a credit card number. Um, it's like the then, Venmo thing. It's like it doesn't exactly. even exist. <laughs> it doesn't even exist. Uh, the food just shows up like magic. So sure, let's get some add-ons to that. Um, but one other thing that's, it's definitely more emerging, it's more, it needs a lot of work to figure out. You know, we've always seen massive opportunity in stored value gift cards and loyalty programs. And we've always struggled with having them be effective for a business owner, right? Nobody wants to say, hey, come in and come a lot, I'm going to give you more money back, right? Particularly in the QSR space, we see a lot of, um, you know, stickiness with customers. So they don't even get the benefit, you know. Um, that is true in many cases, by the way. But what we saw through this pandemic, which was interesting, is if you can start to combine frictionless payments and frictionless loyalty accumulation, you can really start to understand those customers a little better, right? Um, part, payment part or ISVs and solution providers done an amazing job helping businesses understand what their customers' profiles are, right? Uh, we get the most business on Saturday as opposed to Tuesday. 
I think as we start to understand online ordering can actually put us in tune with specific customers, we can start to understand that our customers spend the most amount of money are these people. And for some reason, they spend the most amount of money on Tuesday nights as opposed to Saturday when they show up for lunch. Right. And this, those kind of patterns, when we start talking specifically about people are interesting and we really started to see some interesting behavior um, in testing ways with things like loyalty and stored value around the pandemic. You know, you've heard of people saying, can you go ahead and buy a, a gift card ahead of time? We'll give you 120 percent of the value so that you can come back when things come in play. But we saw some really creative things where people started to say, if you buy a gift card for one hundred dollars, we're going to give you triple loyalty points. And so that sounds the same at first, but when you understand how to make a gift, a loyalty program work better for a QSR, they were doing things like, hey, you're going to have free previews to these new products we're rolling out, right? When, when you see this product, we're going to roll out brand new sandwich. It's going to be announced. We're going to let you get it one week ahead of time if you have this many loyalty points, right? And so the thinking of ways to now give the, the consumers value, but without giving it money out of their pocket, right? And so... I don't think there is, we don't see what that all looks like yet, but we know that stored value is great because it keeps money in the ecosystem, right? Gift cards and things like that. Loyalty is great because we're celebrating our best customers and maybe even creating our best customers. But I think most importantly, it's an opportunity for us to know our best customers. And so these aren't new themes, right? We've been talking about them for years, but I do think the acceleration of getting people into digital helps some of that, right? Because I'm very comfortable registering myself in a digital environment. When I go walk into a brick and mortar QSR, I don't have a lot of time, right? I might even be using the kiosk and that's great because I can dilly dally a little, but I'm probably still not going to stand in front of that thing and enter in my phone number, my name and all of that. So to us, it's really that convergence of things that are coming um, and how we can start to use those more effectively to improve and add more value to the whole consumer experience collectively with Xenial and collectively with the brands we're serving. It's all about cutting the line. I'm a cut the line guy. Yeah. I, like, I like to engage brands that I can just you know, feel good about cutting the line and, and getting whatever I need quick. And that's and, and, and my kids, they're all about that. And you know, the, the, this, this generation coming up, um, again, that's what I love about Venmo is you know, like my son's in college and he can send me a picture and of his meal that he had that night from the cafeteria that looked horrendous and ask me for money and I can send him money immediately and then he can utilize that any way he wants. So it's, 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 I think the word frickless, frictionless, frictionless yeah. was a great way to put it. Cause that's exactly how I am. Again, I always use myself as a consumer. I'm a technologist, but I'm also a consumer and I, I tend to work with brands that allow me to, again, cut the line and, and do it the, the most frictionless way I can possibly order. And that's, whether it's food or retail or clothing or bourbon, it doesn't matter. Um, I wish I could, I, I wish I could find a way that DoorDash would actually come into my house and bring the food up to my bed as, you know, after I had a really <laughs> long night with bourbon, I, I, I wish they could figure that out. Cause that's the only other than DoorDash is great for a Saturday morning. Like I said, but if I could just get them to come, maybe even just feed me, that would work as well. I can't imagine right. what could go wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Bob, that's, um, man, I was almost embarrassed to say I'm too lazy. That's a way better example. But um, I got to say, I am the, the, as far as frictionless goes, I am a huge curbside pickup guy now, right? Like 
All I have to do is pull up and someone is literally walking out 30 seconds later with the food that I have ordered and clicked a button to pay with. Um, thankfully, uh, we don't text and drive, so I'm not doing it while I'm driving. But, you know, basically you get that order in there, my payment's on file, I never have to think about it, and suddenly I show up and at, at worst case I say what spot I'm in. Like, that is the best experience for me, right? I do skip the line. Um, it'd be better at the drive through window. I know we have to figure out those drive queues. Xenial, Xenial will solve that. They'll find me a way to skip the line through the uh, boards into the drive through window. But, um, you know, that's, that's the, uh, I love that kind of experience myself. Well, and that's why, you know, me as a head of IT at, at my company, I have, I'm under, I'm not under pressure from, from the higher ups. I'm under pressure for myself as a consumer to, to want to get those things as quickly as I can into our restaurants so that everybody can ex experience that. I don't feel like I'm getting pressure from my brand or from the CEO, although, I mean, they, they're looking for those things too. It's more just myself as a consumer. When I keep seeing things that are really neat to me, you know, I'll, I'll say, man, I wish, you know, I wish we need to be doing that. And, and how can I get us there? Being a franchise yeah. makes it a little bit more difficult because we have to rely on the franchisor to push right. a lot of the initiatives, but I've got a great relationship with the CIO at um, CKE, which is the parent company to um, for Hardee's and Carl's, and uh, and we're working together to try to fast track those things so we can have a really good guest experience. That's awesome. This was some really exciting stuff, guys. I, I think I think that's all the time we have for today. But you know, Mark, Bob, I really want to thank you guys for the for this discussion. I think that was really good. It's always good to touch base with both of you. Um, you guys are a hoot. So yeah, thank you for our guests. Uh, thank you to the audience for listening. Join us next time on the Table Stakes podcast for a dash of innovation, a pinch of technology, a tablespoon of business strategy, and a generous measure of good humor. We'll see you next time. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like to suggest a topic or guest for an upcoming episode, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at tablestakes at zenial.com. Tablestakes is produced by Michael Kowalski. Our audio engineer is Joseph Hawk, and I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff.